We've had uh, a new toy at our house the last couple weeks. Uh, it's not my toy, but uh, um, Caitlin's been uh, saving up her chore money and her birthday money for, uh, for a while now and, and finally had enough to buy a hoverboard. I don't know if you've seen these boards. Don't, I don't know where the name hoverboard came from. They don't actually hover, but it's kind of those two-wheeled deals. It, it's a segue without the handle, if that makes sense. Anyway, so she, uh, she got a hoverboard. And before you get any ideas, I'll save you the time scouring the internet. There is no video of me trying to write it and wiping out, and that's by design. So or at least not yet, there's not a video of that. Um, anyway, something that, that always intrigues me about new items is the warning labels that come with them. If you ever need a good chuckle, read a modern-day warning label. I mean, really, I, I have this picture of this picture in my mind of, of a room full of lawyers sitting around a table coming up with every conceivable creative way in which the product could be used and then writing some kind of disclaimer that removes any liability on their part for that. Um, now, if I'm being honest, the, the warning manual that came with Caitlin's hoverboard really isn't, isn't too bad. You know, there's, there's things on there about uh, always wearing a helmet, um, Staying away from swimming pools, I thought maybe that one was kind of a waste of space, but whatever. Um, not riding it in the rain, that makes sense, it's an electronic item. I, I was a bit confused at one point. It says, uh, always be aware of local road laws and follow them. And then in the very next line it says, never use in roadways. And so it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess know the laws, but you can't write it on the road anyway, so, okay. So, anyway, and I do need to write them a letter. Uh, uh, toward the back, there's, there's instructions about calibrating the hoverboard. And the very last step of this, and, and I'm quoting here, it says, press the power button to turn on. The hoverboard will be calibrated and ready for galactic adventures. And I checked the box again. There are no rocket boosters in the box that's going to send my child into outer space for these galactic adventures. So I guess I got a defective one, or Caitlin got a defective one. We'll have to write a letter to the company. But anyway, and I know I'm poking fun at warning labels this morning. Um, the truth is they're useful. They do protect people. They inform us about the product. Um, and, and the reason I bring that up is because... It, when I was working on uh, the section that will be in this morning in Paul's letter, I thought, you know, this ought to rightly include a, a warning label. Um, the, the passage that will be in this morning contains two lists, uh, one list of things not to do and the other of things to do. But these lists, I would say, can be kind of dangerous when not handled properly. And in fact, the, the, the New Testament contains many such lists that I would say uh, all can be quite dangerous when we don't handle them properly. And the danger comes when we read either one of the lists and, and kind of transform them into a checklist of qualifications that we attach to salvation. So, so the minute that, that we begin to function as if the don'ts and the do's secure our standing in Christ, we've missed the point. And, and in fact, we've, we've moved away from the gospel and we're now preaching a, a works righteousness or a works-based 
salvation, and, and, and those are false teachings that have to be firmly rejected. And so I thought, man, there, there would rightly be a, a warning label that could be attached to this. And I think Paul maybe gives us a little bit of one. Maybe this is why he prefaced both of these lists with yet one more reminder of the work that Christ has already done within each believer. So I'd encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this morning and follow as I read. Let's look at how Paul prefaces these lists in chapter 3, verse 1. He writes, If then you've been raised with Christ, and and he's speaking to those who have been raised with Christ, so it's kind of rhetorical there. If If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he says, if then you've been raised with Christ. In other words, this entire section is for those who've already experienced what we talked about a couple weeks ago in chapter 2. This is for those who've already been filled in Christ. It's for those who've already been circumcised in Christ. Those who've already been, uh, who've already died in Christ and been resurrected in Christ. Those who've already had their sins forgiven at the cross in Christ. That all comes first. So Paul really isn't giving us the option of putting the cart before the horse. He is making sure that we've got things in the right order here. His words are only for those who've already been raised to life in Christ. And you can go, you can use the language of chapter 1 also, and we can say this is for those who've already been reconciled to Christ, those who've already been made holy and and blameless and above reproach in Christ. So before we are are, are ready to move on to what Paul writes in those lists, we we have to be firmly grounded in and and believe that all the things that he has talked about in chapters 1 and 2 are completely true of us as believers in Christ. Our life has been hidden with Christ in God, as Paul says. We, we will appear with Christ in glory when he appears. That, that is our reality in Christ. And so, as a result, then, we, we ought to seek the things that are above. We ought to set our minds on the things that are above. In, in other words, dwell upon the, the reality of things in Christ We must think about those things and and consider ourselves according to those things. It can be tough for us to do. I think it can can especially be tough uh, if we've come to faith later in life and and been so used to thinking about ourselves in, in a different way. It can be kind of tough to now think about ourselves according to what Paul has written in the first couple chapters. But, but as tough or as unnatural as it might be to us, we have to set our minds on those things above. Though that, that reality that Christ has made us holy, 
that Christ has made us blameless, that Christ has made us above reproach, that in Christ we are accepted and we are loved and we are secure. If we're not setting our minds on Christ above, we're probably not going to think about ourselves in that way. We just probably won't. And, and I'd say if, 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 we, if we look at ourselves and say, man, I'm, I'm kind of having trouble thinking about myself in that way in Christ, then I think we ought to give serious consideration to where we are setting our minds, where we regularly set our minds. Um, the, the things with which we fill our minds impact how we think. Um, and, and uh, you know, this truth about our reality in Christ, it's not something that's generally found in the world. The culture is not actively pushing that message upon us. It's just not. So we have to do whatever we have to do to set our minds on those things that are above, set our minds on that reality in Christ. And so, so maybe it's highlighting passages in our Bible that, that speak to this truth and regularly reading those passages, reminding ourselves of who we are. Uh, it might be writing it on an index card and putting it on, the, on our desk at the office, you know, just to have kind of that truth in front of us on a continual basis. Uh, maybe maybe uh, before every meal, in addition to giving thanks for the food, it's giving thanks for our reality in Christ. Uh, doing whatever it takes to set our minds on those things that are above. Seeking the things that are above where Christ is. That reality of who we are in him. And I think as we do that, then we're ready to move on to these lists that Paul gives to us. You know, Paul's lists, again, they're, they're not ways to achieve our standing in Christ, but it's how we live out that new reality in Christ. So look with me at the first list. The first one is the don'ts, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now when I read that, that paragraph specifically, one of the first questions I have in, in, in reading that pertains to uh, Paul's command to put to death those things of the earthly nature. And my question isn't really about why Paul tells me to put them to death. My question is, haven't those things already been put to death as we talk about our new reality in Christ? Paul, didn't you say back in chapter 2 that 
that my body of flesh has been circumcised, that it's been cut off. Didn't you say that, that I've been buried with Christ in baptism? How, how can I put to death something that I thought was already dead? That, that's, that's the question I have as I read that. And, and in my study, I came across a, a quote by, by John MacArthur that I thought gives some good clarity to that question. He says, it's surprising when Paul then talked about putting sin to death in our lives here and now. Didn't Paul say repeatedly this, that this had already been done? At the moment of salvation, the old self was crucified with Christ and we were raised to new life, yes. But this positional reality must be worked out in the believer's practical living. There can be no holiness or maturity in a life where sin runs unchecked. We've died to sin's penalty, but sin's power still can be strong. So I think what, what MacArthur is saying there is that all those things Paul talked about regarding our new identity in Christ are absolutely true. Uh, we've been raised with Christ. We are a new creation in him. But but our freedom from bondage to sin doesn't mean that we are no longer able to sin. It doesn't mean that there's no longer any temptation to sin. And I think, I think this is right in line with what Paul writes in another place. Um, in Romans chapter 6, he's talking about this exact same thing. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. I mean, you can hear it. The same things he's talking about in Colossians, he's talking about in Romans 6. Uh, he goes on a little farther and he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I hear that and I, I hear the echo of, you know, set your mind on things above, right? Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. But then it's Paul's very next words that reveal to us that sin is still possible. Because he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So he's talking about this reality. We've been, you know, uh, we've, our old self's been crucified with Christ. Uh, you know, we're no longer enslaved to sin. We consider ourselves alive to God. But there, you know, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So Paul's saying, yeah, that's all true, but you could still let sin reign within you. Paul wouldn't have had to give that warning if Christians no longer had the ability to sin. And, and we all know that, right? I mean, from experience, we know that. But again, we, we do have that reality, and so Paul did give that warning. And, and because we still have that ability to sin, even in our new self, we have to put to death those earthly, fleshly desires like Paul wrote in Colossians 3. And he gave two lists specifically in that paragraph of things that must be put to death or put away. Verse 5, he's, he's uh, listing sins that are sexual in nature. Um, verse 8, he's listing sins of attitude and speech toward one another. And he says it's because of these sins— and, and others, not just the ones he listed, but it's because of sins that the wrath of God is coming. Those sins are an affront to God's character and to his purposes, and 
these sins leave a person in debt before God, and, and so his wrath will be poured out upon them. And in our new reality in Christ, those sins have absolutely no place among us. That's what Paul's saying. They have no place among us. Paul says you used to walk in those ways. You know, that's what you did before Christ's work in you. Now, because of the work of Christ, you are to walk in him, not, not walk in those old sinful ways. You know, in a way, the, the actions of the sinful nature just don't fit us anymore. You see in verses 9 and 10, Paul kind of uses the image of clothing. He says, you know, we've taken off the old self with its practices. That's the old clothes. They don't fit anymore. But we've put on the new self, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's our new clothes. That's what does fit us now. Our, our, our new self has, has nothing to do with those old ways of life. There, there is not a single positive thing that those old sinful actions can offer to us. I mean, there isn't. There is not a single positive thing it can offer to us. They provide us absolutely no benefit whatsoever. Now, Satan deceives us into thinking that they do, doesn't he? he, he that's what temptation is. But they don't. They, they have no benefit to us. And so Paul says that you know, they don't fit you anymore. Put them to death. Put them away. Put them off. And then, and then just as those old uh, actions have no benefit to us, Paul goes in, on in verse 11, he, and he says that the old groups that we used to define people don't have benefit to us anymore either in Christ. He says the racial groups, Jew and Gentile, the religious groups, circumcised and uncircumcised, uh, the cultural groups, barbarian, Scythian, uh, the social groups, slave, the freeze, none of those exist in Christ. In Christ, we are all one. We are all equal. Christ does not withhold himself from any of those groups, and so we shouldn't do that either. You know, the old self would have accepted or rejected somebody based upon those groups. Paul says, you know, the, the new self, uh, there's no place for that. Just as those sinful actions don't have pla a place in the new self, those old groupings don't have a place in the new self either. It's who we used to be, that's who we no longer are in Christ. And so those are the don'ts. As we set our minds on Jesus above and, and our new reality in him, we'll put to death and we'll put away those old sins of the flesh. But then Paul goes on and he gives uh, a list of do's. And so again, as we set our minds on Jesus above, as we think about our reality in him, we'll put on these attitudes and actions. So look with me here at verse 12. Paul talks about the do's. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We get, really in verse 12, we get one more time there before giving the list. Paul, again, reminds us of our reality in Christ. We're, we're God's chosen ones. We're holy. We're beloved. You know, if, if it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse about this new reality in Christ thing, then I guess I'm getting Paul's point across because that's what Paul does. He says it over and over and over again in this. You know, again, nothing in this list of do's is given to us so that we might earn God's love or God's holiness or be chosen by God because we're so good at being good, right? That's not at all what Paul says here. Because we are already chosen and holy and beloved, we put on the things in this passage. And the things listed here are, uh, maybe you made the connection, are very similar to, to uh, what Jim read for us from Galatians chapter 5 with the fruit of uh, the Spirit. Uh, their qualities and attitudes and actions which, uh, which rise up within us due to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The, the, these, these characteristics find their origin in God himself. But Paul's words here in Colossians, they, they also revealed to us that we have a role to play in, in, our, uh, in those characteristics being a part of our daily life. Um, because we've been raised to life with Christ and because the Spirit dwells in us, we're able to put on these things that, that Paul listed for us. So through the Spirit, we can be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. And through the Spirit, we can bear with one another when tension arises and we can forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. And through the Spirit, we can have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts and we can have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. All, all those things are possible because of who we are in Christ. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say that it's a piece of cake, right? That it's super easy, that, that, those, that we don't have to put any sort of any work or effort or attention to any of those things. But I will stand here and say that no matter who we are, no matter what our personality is, uh, no matter what our past life has been, no matter where we currently find ourselves, none of these things is impossible in Christ. None of them. Every one of them is possible in Christ. And, and really to live in these ways is simply to live in congruence with, with who we now are because of Christ. So, you know, they're, they're, they're the characteristics of the new self. And I would say, you know, I love the last verse there. Paul says, whatever we do, it ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, if we, if we can't attach the name of Jesus to our, our actions or our attitude, then it ought to be put to death. It ought to be put away. If we can attach Jesus 
to our actions or our attitudes than, than that ought to be put on. And, and I think that's a great evaluation tool for us. At the end of the day, I can look back over my day and I can ask myself, can I attach Jesus' name to what I've done today, what I've said, what I've thought, my attitudes, whatever the case might be. And if not, then, then I need to repent of those things. I need to, uh, in the power of God, put them to death, put them away. And if I look back and I say, yes, I can attach the name of Jesus to that, then I, then I praise God that by his power I was able to live according to that new self, my new reality in him. Paul says, whatever we do in word or deed, it ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and I would say that any time we assume that someone cannot change and cannot begin displaying the things that Paul listed, we're disregarding the powerful work of Christ in that person. We're, we're selling short the, the power of God enacted through the gospel. And anytime we assume that we cannot change, right, anytime we assume that we cannot begin displaying the things that Paul just listed, we're, we're doing the same things. It's, it's, uh, it's he who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so that same power that raised Jesus from the dead empowers you and I to put to death these things and put on these things. And I know in some ways that's an oversimplification, but in other ways it is not at all. It is simply the reality of the power of God working within us. And so, uh, you know, if, you, if you're the type of person that loves practical applications, I'm going to let you down this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to pause right here today in verse 17, and we're going to pick it up with verse 18 next week. And what we'll see next week is that Paul, Paul goes on to speak about what it looks like to, to live this out in four different relationships. So we'll get to some of that the practical application next week. So if you were really hoping for that kind of thing this morning, I guess I'll say two things to you. One, come back next week and, and you'll get it then. Uh, but two, uh, what you can do now, what you can do now between now and then, um, uh, later today, this week, whatever, is, is to dwell further on what Paul wrote in these first 17 verses and, and take a look at your own individual context in your own life and, and consider where there is a need to put something to death or to put something on. You know, it, 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 granted, it would be very handy to have application points spelled out in exact detail, but I think that would disregard the fact that the ways in which each one of us grow in our walking in Christ can be a bit different, right? I mean, what, what it looks for me to put on humility, for example, may be different than what it looks like for you to put on humility, and, and the area in which I need to put away anger might not pertain to you much at all. And so what we can do is, is 
take an honest look at ourselves and our inclinations and our own situations and prayerfully discern what it, what it uh, will take to live out our new self in the power of Christ. So, I mean, you think about any one of these. I mean, if, if passion or lust is an issue, it, it, for one person, it might mean not watching that TV channel. For another person, it might mean not walking by that person's desk at work. I mean, Paul could not write something that specific in his letter to the church at Colossae. But through the work of the Holy Spirit within us, you and I can be led to apply Paul's words in those specific ways. Um, you know, patience, you think about it. If patience is an issue, you know, for, for one person, it might mean doing a theme study in the Bible about what it says about patience. And for another person, a, a breathing technique may be, may be so helpful to them. And again, Paul can't specifically describe something for every person through history, right, that, that, that has read these words. But the Holy Spirit can and does lead us and empower us to apply Paul's words in the way that they need to be in our own lives. So I guess all that to say is you and I have to put in the work along with the Holy Spirit to, to discern where and how we need to put something on or, or put something away or take it off or whatever, uh, whatever the words uh, Paul uses in that specific example. And we do that in order to walk in Jesus according to this new reality that we've been given, according to the new person that we are after having been raised with Jesus. And again, we'll get, we'll get some of those more universal applications next week, but, but let's do the work between now and then to discern the personal applications for our own lives. And, and just for good measure, just to get it in one more time, these words are not given, or they are given to us in light of who we are in Christ. They are not given to us to help us secure something in Christ. Paul's living us, uh, he's, he's urging us to live according to the new creations we are in Jesus. He's painting a picture of what life in Christ looks like for us. Jesus has done the work. He's He's, uh, he's given us that new life. We are raised to life in him and through him. And so now we live that out through these words that Paul has written for us in chapter three. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's make sure we are seeking God and, and asking for his power to live that out because it's definitely not on our own effort alone. It is him working through us. Heavenly Father, we, uh, I think we have to start by, by giving praise to you for who we are. And Paul has said it so many different ways in chapter one and in chapter two and even, even throughout these lists in chapter three. Uh, we are who we are. We are new creations because of you. We are new creations through you, and we recognize that this morning. We thank you for it. God, for any who, who can't claim that reality this morning, I, I, I desire that they would find that in you, that they would maybe stop their own working to become a new creation and trust you to make them a new creation. 
God, we thank you for your ability to do that, your power to do that, your, your desire to do that, seen through your work on the cross. And God, we also know that, that in that reality, we are called to, to live it out, called to put to death those sinful actions in our lives. We're called to put on this, uh, these fruit of the Spirit. God, would you lead us in that and empower us to do that? Would you give us the wisdom that's needed? Would you give us the accountability with one another that's needed for that? We, we want to walk in you. We know that's what we're called to do as new creations, and we, we desire that. We ask that, that you would help us to do that, and, and we're ready to do our part in it. We give you praise this morning. God, we thank you. We, we worship you. We recognize the wonderful blessing of being a new creation. God, help us to understand more and more what that means and what that looks like. I pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.